Welcome to First Church this morning and those listening on the radio. Thank you, Sharon. A great mood to set the and warmth to set our worship service here this morning, as always. Lord, you your love is a kind that can warm us from the inside out. Let's open our hearts this morning so you can fill us up and turn us into heaters that spreads your love and warmth to those near us. A few announcements uh, to highlight. There's many in the bulletin, but a few items just to, to point out. The congregation meeting to accept nominations for officers of the consistory and congregation will be held immediately following today's service. <clears throat> Two weeks from today on the 22nd will be the annual meeting to elect officers, hear reports from the pastors, uh, the pastor, trustee, treasurer, committees, and to approve the proposed 2017 budget. After the worship service today and, and, the, congreg- and the congregation meetings, um, we will take down the decorations. Uh, many, help, uh, many helped, and we had the church decorated in no time. Putting it away could go even faster. If you're able to stay and lend a hand, it, it would be most appreciated. First Church of New Knoxville is having a day of prayer starting at 8 a.m. on the 21st and ending at 8 a.m. on January 22nd. The day of prayer is for the body of believers to pray for redemption and healing of our land. Please sign up for a time slot to come to church and pray for our church, our community, and country. Sign up individually as a family or as a group of friends. There are posters at the doors of the church to sign up. Tori, would you come forward? Tori has some youth-related events to share with us this morning. Good morning. I have two announcements. This morning, right after the meeting, we will have another meeting um, for fundraising. And so if you're going on the mission trip or you are going to Young Life or even interested in Young Life, please come to that meeting. It'll be in the social room, and we will talk about all the fundraising stuff that we're going to be doing in order to get us to camp and on the mission trip. And also, speaking of fundraising, the cookbook deadline is coming up on February 1st. We only have about 20 recipes so far, so in order to make this book work, we need about 100 to 150 in order for us to make a profit on it and for it to be even done. Um, So I'm asking for all of your help. If you guys cook or have your mom's, grandma's recipe or whatever you want to put in there that you love, please get that to me. You can write it down. You can type it up. You can email it to me or drop it off at the church office or just give it to me on a Sunday morning. But we need those by February 1st in order for the book to be done. So, and students are helping design and plan the whole book. So I'm excited to see what it looks like, and I'm excited to try all the recipes that you guys put in there. So please get those in, and students, don't forget about the meeting after the meeting this morning. Thank you. Would you rise, please, for the call to worship? Taken from Isaiah 55, verses 10 through 11. As the rain and the snow come down from heaven and do not return to it without watering the earth and making it bud and flourish, so that it yields seed for the sower and bread for the eater, so it is my word that goes out from my mouth. It will not return to me empty, but will accomplish what I desire and achieve the purpose for which I sent it. God of grace, you have given us minds to know you, hearts to love you, and voices to sing your praise. Fill us with your spirit, that we may celebrate your glory and worship you in spirit and in truth. Through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Now let us sing hymn number 271, Standing on the Promises.
our children's chat this morning. I believe Shelby's got an experiment, some kind of science experiment. We'll see how that goes. Smoke and explosions, noise. I don't know what she's all got planned. But while the kids are coming up for that, please extend a smile and a warm hand and warm the neighbor up next to you. Good morning, guys. How are you all? Yeah. You guys ready for a science experiment? Yeah. Well, it's kind of a new year. Get back to school, right? So we're going to do a science experiment. Who knew that science could be so much fun? I have a penny here, and this penny is you guys. So I'm going to put you guys on this plate, okay? You're not wanting to stay up. It's going to fall on the edge. And I've got some water here, but the water is dyed red, And the water represents sin. Sin is going to surround us in life, and we're going to be always around sin because that's what we're here on the earth for. Okay, so I'm going to surround this penny with red water, and we are surrounded by sin. Okay? Now, who takes away our sin? God takes away our sin. So we're going to put God in the center of our plate because he should be in the center of our lives, right? Okay. And what all Christmas season, how we've been talking about, what has Pastor Joel been talking about? Lighting the candle. And so I'm going to light this candle. And this is God's light in our lives. So... We have so far us, sin, God, and God's light. Now, what did God do for us to take away all of our sin? What did God do for us to take away all of our sin? Do you guys know? We celebrate it every Easter. What did he, what did he do? What? Mm-mm. What's this? He died on a cross. He died on the cross to take away all of our sins so that we could have eternal life and live with him eventually in heaven one day, right? So God is going to take away all of our sins. And I'm going to put this here. It should work. Hopefully it works. (laughs) But that light is going to eventually create a vacuum, and it's just like God taking away all of our sin. See how it's coming up in the glass? And look, eventually, here's you, here's the penny, eventually, God takes away all of our sins, and that's what he died on the cross for, was to take away our sins, and that's why he loves you. And that's why we'll eventually live with him in heaven eternally one day. Okay? All right. Thanks, guys. Let's, let's pray. You guys want to bow your heads and close your eyes? Let's pray. Dearly, Father, we just thank you for these kiddos. We thank you for them coming up here today and learning about your love and, and everything that you did for us as a sacrifice to show us that love. Lord, we pray that we, you bless them throughout this coming year. And let them know that your presence is known in their lives. And all this we pray through your son, Jesus Christ. Amen. I got one in my eye. In Iraq in the past week, from the United Kingdom, we lost Lance Corporal Scott Hetherington, 22, from Manchester, England, as the Retaking of Mosul is continuing. The troops are approaching the Tigris River, which splits the ancient town of Nineveh, which is now Mosul in Iraq. Thank you, Jay. Uh, let's, let's go to the Lord in prayer at this time. Father, we are grateful that you are a God who loves us. And as Shelby just shared with us, that does... Remove our sin, remove the sin from our lives. And Lord, we realize the great price that you paid in order to do that. Um, you sent your son to die on the cross for us. 
Um, and his resurrection is, is him living again is, is proof that, that you did conquer sin and death in the grave. And so we are so grateful for that and that, uh, Lord, you are the God of life. You are the God, the giver of life. And so as we hear reports like, like the one Jay just shared with us and reports like what came out of Fort Lauderdale this week, uh, we're just grieved to, to see the loss of life, uh, taking place. Uh, we pray that you would be with those who lost loved ones, um, in this way. Lord, you are, um, you are there with them. We know that your spirit is a spirit of comfort that brings peace. Um, and so I pray that those who have been affected by these tragedies would, would be able to turn to you and, and look to you for that comfort and strength and peace that they so desperately need at this time. Uh, we also, we pray in particular for, for the members of our community who were impacted by, by the shooting. And I pray that you would be with them as well and, and help them to, to, uh, respond positively, Lord, in a way that, that brings honor to you. And I pray that you would help them to, to heal and, and all the others that are impacted by this. Um, Lord, uh, be with them at this time. Uh, we are so grateful, Lord, that you are a God who hears our prayers, uh, who loves us and cares for us and is moved by the prayers and the cries of your people. And so we, we look forward to you now, Lord, as, as one who will act and one who will come to our aid and come to our help and come to our comfort. And we are, we are thankful that you are a God who loves us and cares for us and is able to meet our needs. We, we lift all these things up to you in the name of Christ who taught us to pray, saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Invite those who are helping with the offering to come forward at this time. Our, our Sunday offering today will go to help support Agape Ministries and St. Mary's.
The scripture reading this morning is from Acts 2, verses 42 through 47. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. Thank you. Let's stand and sing uh, Cornerstone. The words are printed in your bulletin. be seated. Before we get started here, I just want to, again, just say how I, I love the decorations here in the church for the Christmas season. I know that uh, it's just beautiful in here, and, and, and many of you put a lot of hard work into decorating it and planning that out. And we, I just appreciate that so much. And part of me is going to be sad to see it go down this afternoon because I'll no longer be able to hide behind this Christmas tree during the service and kind of block myself from most of you. But I guess I'll have to just deal with that. Um, let's, let's pray before we look at uh, this portion of God's Word together again this morning. Father, uh, thank you again for this opportunity to, to be here and to serve this church in this way. I pray that you would uh, bless uh, our time this morning as we focus in on your Word. And again, uh, look to see what it has to, to say to us as a church 
and what it means for us to be the church together here in New Knoxville. I pray that you would bless me as I, as, and give me words to speak. And I pray that you'd open up all of our hearts and minds to what you have to say to us today. In Christ we pray. Amen. Uh, if you were here with us last week, we uh, began a new uh, sermon series, and, and I hope that you have your, your booklets. If you're a note taker, just simply like to follow along with the scripture week to week after week. Uh, but we're looking at what it means for us to be the church and, and really kind of the foundation of our series uh, that we're going to be uh, looking at together over the next several weeks is our mission statement as a church. Uh, this is something that was adopted several years ago uh, by the consistory and by, by you as the congregation. Um, and what I would like to do is take a look and, and see what it means for, actually, for us to actually live out these statements. Um, it's often something we, we kind of gloss over. It's in the front of our bulletin every week, but we, we often just, maybe it just be, kind of becomes part of the background, becomes part of the scenery. And, and what I would like to do is ask the question, what does it mean for us to actually live this out? First of all, what does it mean? What does it mean to, to say we believe these things and want to live them out? And then what does it actually look like for us to live them out? So last week we took a look at the first, really just the first phrase of that statement, uh, that we are a community of faith. Uh, and, and took a look at, took a kind of deeper look at what it means to be a community, what it means to be the church. Uh, we, we talked that the church is not a building or something that we do, but the church is the people. The people that are gathered here this morning. You are the church. We are the church together. Uh, church isn't a place we go or something we do, but it's something we are. And we talked about what that means for us practically, uh, that we have both a horizontal and vertical uh, fellowship that we're called to live out. Horizontal in the sense that we are called to be in relationship with each other uh, as brothers and sisters in Christ. We're called to encourage and support each other and to build each other up. Uh, we also have that vertical relationship, that our own personal relationship with the Lord. Uh, and that is what binds us together. That's the one thing that we all have in common as the church, as people who are following Christ, is that relationship with Him. And so that's what, that what really brings us together as a church. What I'd like to do today is take a look at the rest of that statement. We talked about a community of faith, uh, but then it also goes on to describe what that community of faith should look like. Who engage biblical truth to provide an environment where people mature as disciples of Christ. Um, I'd actually like to start at the last statement there that talks about maturing as disciples of Christ. And if you're anything like me, you, you like to ask questions. I'm very inquisitive uh, when it comes to, to um, reading scripture or reading statements like this. And the first thing I thought of was, what does it mean to be a disciple of Christ? Uh, maybe that's not the first place you go, but, uh, but it's a good question to ask. What is a disciple? What, is it, what does that word even mean? Uh, it means to be a follower, a learner, um, a student of something. And if we really are digging deeper, if we really, if we really believe this, we're, we're all disciples of something. You know, whether we're disciples of Christ or disciples of something else, we're all students, we're all learners of something. We all learn from, from one person or another, from the culture or from the church or from God's word. We're all learners or disciples of something. And so it's not necessarily whether you're a disciple, it's who you're a disciple of or what you're a disciple of. And, and as a community of faith, as First Church, we hope that we are maturing disciples of Christ. Uh, several years ago, um, the church uh, sent out a, a statement um, that was approved by consistory and went out to the church uh, called First Church, a discussion of faith and direction. It's something that I had the opportunity to look over this week and read a little bit more. And in that document, in that statement that the church made, it actually defined what a disciple of Christ should look like. It says being a disciple should not, excuse me, being a disciple should be about intentionally aligning each of our lives with Jesus Christ, our Savior. So in other words, being a disciple is about becoming more and more like Christ, seeing our lives align more and more with, with Jesus's and the things that he cared about and the things that he did and the, and the kind of life that he lived. Our lives should reflect that more and more and more each day. That's what it means to be a disciple of Christ. And it's about transformation. You know, we can talk a lot about gaining knowledge, right? You can, you can know this book front and back, right? You can, you can study God's Word and know a whole lot about it and be able to quote Scripture from beginning to end. But if you're not seeing your life transformed, if you're not seeing it make an impact in who you are and how you live, it's not making a difference. You're not really being a disciple if you're just gaining a bunch of knowledge. 
But at the same time, it's not just about behavior modification either. It's not about just having a list of do's and don'ts and trying to follow those the best that you can. Being a disciple, really being transformed is about uh, learning about God. It's about knowing His Word and knowing who He is. But and, and it's about living a life that reflects that. It's, it's seeing the two of those things come together in a life that's transformed to be more and more like Him. And, and it's not something that we do ourselves. It's not about pulling ourselves up by our bootstraps and trying to just work harder and live better, you know, under our own power. But God promises in His Word that He will give us His Holy Spirit to help us to live out these things and live out these commands and, and be transformed into the more and more into the image of Christ. It's kind of like a farmer and, and his crops. I'm sure many of you can relate to that analogy. And it's one that actually Jesus used quite a bit in His parables and His teaching. That as a farmer, as a gardener, Right, you don't make your crops grow. Right, you can do things to help your crops grow. Right, you can water them, you can plant them in the right kind of soil, you can make sure that they get the right amount of sunlight, and all all those sorts of things. Um, there's a lot of things that you can do to help your crops grow, but in the end, there's nothing that you can do to make it actually happen. Right, you can't make that seed open up and begin to sprout. You can't force that plant to grow. That's something that that happens naturally, when you put that plant in the right position to grow. Does that make sense? And so discipleship is kind of the same way. Our, our transformation is kind of the same way. We can't make ourselves grow. No matter how hard we try, we can, we can try to force ourselves to be good and do the right thing, but it's not going to happen apart from God's Spirit working in our lives. It's not going to happen apart from a relationship with Him. Right, we can put ourselves in the right position to grow as disciples and to mature. And that's kind of what we'll be talking about over the next several weeks, about how we as a church can do that. But it's about God working in our lives. We can position ourselves for growth, but God is the one who matures us and grows us through a relationship with Him. So how does the Bible view discipleship? That's another good question, right? We've talked about what a disciple is and what it means to be a disciple of Christ. But another question is, what is, it, what is the Bible's view on that? How does, how does God's Word describe discipleship? And there's a few things that, that I want to know. First is from Luke chapter 6, verse 40. Uh, Luke chapter 6, verse 40. Uh, Jesus is speaking to his, his disciples, and he says, The student is not above the teacher, but everyone who is fully trained will be like their teacher. So in other words, as we learn to follow Christ, as God's Spirit works in our lives, we'll be more and more like Him. Our lives will begin to, to look like Jesus' life. And we'll be able to be like our teacher. I don't know if you've ever seen this, but I've seen uh, photos and there's these articles that show up sometimes about couples that look alike. Have you ever seen that? The more and more a couple you know, spends time together, been married 30, 40, 50, 60, sometimes 70 years, they just naturally start to look alike. It's kind of funny how that works out, right? They're, they, they begin to dress alike. They, they Sometimes their mannerisms and, and the, the way that they act and talk just begin to line up simply because they spent so much time together. Uh, I've actually seen an article where dogs and their owners begin to look alike, but that's a completely different story. Uh, but the reality is as you spend time with someone or spend, you know, give a good portion of your life to another person, you begin to look like that person in the way that you act and you talk and you think. Um, and, and, of course, you have an impact on that other person as well. Uh, but the same is true with our relationship with Christ. As we spend more time with him, as we are striving to be his disciples, as we put ourselves in a position to grow, we're going to just naturally become more like him. The student will become like the teacher. Uh, another analogy about is, is for you sports fans out there like me is uh, you hear talk about coaching trees. Uh, probably the one in the NFL that's the most talked about is Bill Belichick. He's the head coach of the New England Patriots, has been for some time. Um, in a past life, he was even a coach of the Cleveland Browns, but I don't think that went over as well. Uh, but uh, a lot of coaches in the NFL now came from his staff at one point or another. Um, they've had varying degrees of success, but, but um, you see these other coaches that have spent time working under Bill Belichick and spending time learning his ways and how he coaches and his kind of philosophy. And then they get hired somewhere else and they bring that with them. They bring little parts of, of what his coaching philosophy is and how he leads other people and leads his players. And that becomes a part of how they then coach and they bring that with them to their new team. 
you see that over and over again in sports and other things. But again, it's another example of how if we spend time with someone, if we really devote ourselves to, to someone's teaching and, and becoming like someone else, or excuse me, spending time with someone, we're going to become like them in a lot of ways. And so discipleship, um, according to the Bible, is like becoming like our teacher, becoming like Jesus. Um, but it's, it's more than just becoming like them. Uh, the Bible also describes how disciples' lives will be transformed into the image of Christ. Not only will our, our, you know, our thought patterns maybe or our actions become more like His, but, but we will ourselves become more and more like Christ in everything that we do. Our lives will reflect Him more and more. Ephesians chapter 4, verses 11 through 13. Uh, this is a very, I think, important passage for uh, me as a leader in the church, as a pastor, because it speaks, uh, the, the verses immediately leading up to this speak about the different gifts that are given in the church, um, including pastor and, and the responsibilities that that uh, entails. Um, and so actually verse 11 begins with that. It says, so Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors and teachers. You know, I see that in my, you know, eyes <laughs> perk up, you know, because that's, that's where I am right now. Uh, but we all are in a position uh, of leadership or a position of, of serving Christ in, the, in one way or another. But Christ gives those things, gives those kinds of gifts to the church for a certain reason. It says to equip his people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God. And here's the key part that we're going to focus on. And become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. See, that's the goal of our discipleship. That's the goal of our, of our spiritual maturity is to be attain the full measure of the wholeness of Christ in our lives. And that, you may look at that phrase and think, what in the world does that mean? And, and, and it's, it's, I think the, another way to put it, in other words, is that our lives will begin to look more and more like His. We'll, we'll attain the full measure of the fullness of Christ. In other words, the way that Christ lived and talked and thought and, and the thing, kind of things that he did will become the things that we think and do and act. We'll become more and more like him. His life will become, um, uh, we will become part, our, our lives will reflect his life even more. Paul put it another way. He says, to live is Christ, right? It is no longer I who live, but he who lives through me, he says in another letter. It's Christ's life becoming um, evident in our own lives. And the reality, too, is we need to remind ourselves that nobody is perfect, and this is a work in progress. This passage talks about how uh, we will try to do these things until we reach this point. In other words, we're not there yet. And I don't know about you, but that's a comforting thought, because I know I'm not perfect. I know that there's things in my life that need to change, and God needs to work in my life to, to transform and to make more and more into His image. None of us are there. None of us are. We're at different points of our spiritual journey and our spiritual maturity, and we can learn from those who are, who are maybe a few steps ahead of us, and we can hopefully encourage those who are maybe a few steps behind us. But we're all on this, pro, we're all on this journey together. We're all a work in progress, and we will not um, really reach that point. We will not reach that complete, perfect spiritual maturity until we're with Him again in paradise, in eternity. And so if we're a disciple, when people look at your life, they should see glimpses of Christ in it. I've heard somebody say once that, that there are people in this world, and I believe it, there's people in this world that will never voluntarily walk into a church, right? Unless maybe for a wedding or a funeral or something like that. But they're just not going to show up on a Sunday morning under their own free will. But you have an opportunity as their friend, as their family member, as their coworker, as their neighbor, to, to show them Christ through your life. Somebody said that you may be the only Bible that someone ever reads. You may be the only glimpse of Jesus that someone ever sees. And as Christ matures us, as He uses His Spirit to help us to grow and become more like Him, we'll be able to, people will be able to see glimpses of, of Christ in each of our lives. One more aspect of, of discipleship that I just want to point out to us that, that we see in Scripture is that his disciples, his followers, uh, will obey his commands. Obedience is the response to God's love that he's shown us. It's not the precursor. I've spent, spent several times uh, already in my time here at First Church talking about how, how obedience is our response to God's love for us. It's not a way that we earn God's love. It's not a way that we um, 
earn God's favor or anything like that. But it's simply the response to the love that God has already shown us. In John chapter uh, 14, uh, Jesus specifically gives this command to his disciples. I'm going to read chapter 14, verses 15 through 23. Jesus is speaking. He says, If you love me, keep my commands. And I'll ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate to help you and be with you forever, the Spirit of truth. The world cannot accept him because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him, and he lives with you and will be in you. I will not leave you as an orphan. I will come to you. Before long, the world will not see me anymore, but you will see me. Because I live, you also will live. On that day, you will realize that I am in the Father, and you are in me, and I am in you. Whoever has my commands and keeps them is the one who loves me. The one who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I too will love them and show myself to them. Then then Judas, not Judas Iscariot, said, But Lord, why do you intend to show yourself to us and not to the world? And Jesus replied, Anyone who loves me will obey my teaching. My Father will love them, and he will come to them and make our home with them. Anyone who does not love me will not obey my teaching. These words you hear are not my own. They belong to the Father who sent me. See, Jesus tied this connection with with our love for him, our desire to serve him comes, obedience comes along with that. It's the response that we have to the love that he's shown us. And if we truly desire to serve him, if we truly desire to be his disciples, then we will desire to obey him as well. Eric Geiger in a book called Transformational Discipleship says that the end result of a discipleship is not merely the knowledge of all, of all Jesus commanded, but the obedience to all Jesus commanded. See, that's the, that's the proper response that our lives, as our lives are transformed to look more and more like him, we'll have a desire to then obey those commands and, and, and live lives that please and honor him. Uh, there's this uh, movie uh, that came out a few years back, and, and Ali, I know you've heard this one uh, several times. I've used this as an example in a few of my sermons in the past, but there's a movie called The Breakup. Uh, it stars Vince Vaughn and uh, Jennifer Aniston. Um, and there's this scene, it's, and this whole movie is based around their relationship and, and kind of the way that it, that it falls apart. Um, but there's this one scene where Vince Vaughn is, is, is at home and he's just playing video games, and his his significant other, Jennifer Aniston, walks in and, and sees him playing video games and just kind of loses it, right? And, and she begins to, to complain and be upset about all the things that he should have been doing instead of playing video games, right? All the things that, that she had asked him to do or things that, that he should have done on his own, right? Uh, and there's this one fight that begins to happen over the dishes, right? There's these dirty dishes in the sink, and she wanted him to do the dishes, and he didn't want to do the dishes, right? And so, so there's this, this awesome exchange where, where he says, if you wanted me to do the dishes, you should have just said to do the dishes. And she looks at him and goes, you, you just don't get it. I want you to want to do the dishes, right? And he goes, who wants to do the dishes? Who wants to do that, right? But the point that she was making is, is if he really loved her, if he really cared for her, he would have had a desire and a want to do those things and serve her in that way. You know, he would have seen the dishes in the sink and thought, one of the ways that I can show my love and express my love to her would have been by doing the dishes, right? Something, a, a practical way to serve her. The same is, is kind of true with our relationship with God. If we truly love him, if we desire to follow him, he will instill in us a desire to want to do the dishes, not really at home, the dishes, but in our lives, you know, serving him and, and, and expressing our love to him in real and practical ways. And the way that we can do that is by doing as he commanded us to do in Scripture. Loving our neighbor as ourself, loving our enemies and praying for those who persecute us, serving those who are in need. Those are all things that God commands us to do in Scripture. And he, and he will instill in us a desire to want to do those things if we're truly his disciples. So if that's what being a mature disciple of Christ looks like, I guess the question then is what, how can we as First Church provide an environment where people mature as disciples of Christ? Well, we see here in our mission statement that, our, that the way that we believe God is leading us to do that is by engaging biblical truth. And this brings us back to our passage that we've looked at these last two weeks, Acts chapter 2, verses 42 and through 47. Last week we looked at um, community and those two aspects, the fellowship and the breaking of bread. And this week, uh, we're going to focus on uh, devoting those that devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to prayer. Devoted is a pretty strong word 
It indicates a strong commitment that people have to something. It takes devotion to position ourselves for true and lasting change. I'm not a runner, uh, but I know that there's, there's several of you here that like to run and enjoy that. Um, if you were going to sign up and run a marathon or even a 5K or 10K, uh, you can't just sign, the, you know, sign yourself up and then do nothing about it until the day of the race and then show up and expect to be able to complete it or expect to be able to finish it in a way that, that you desire. Right? If you sign up for a marathon and don't train for it and don't commit to that regimen that, that's needed to train, you're never going to be able to complete that marathon. The same is true for our, uh, our relationship with the Lord. If we desire to be His disciples, if we desire to grow in our faith and become more like Him, we're going to need to commit ourselves. We're going to need to devote ourselves to something. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. We need to make a commitment to, to learn about God and, and what He's taught us through His Word. It says they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. And, and, and in the book of Acts, where this comes from, the Acts is the, the description of the very first churches, the very first disciples, and how God's Word spread from, from this ragtag band of 12 disciples that Jesus had with Him during His life to what we, you know, see today, 2,000 years later. You know, you are the legacy of, of that movement. Uh, and, and so in the book of Acts, we see several times where people like Peter and Paul stood up and preached sermons. And we see the words recorded for us in the book of Acts. And so we can actually go back through the book and look at what was actually preached. When it talks about the apostles' teaching, we can look and say, what was the apostles' teaching? What, what did those first sermons look like? What did that, what did that amount to? And there's about 11 sermons that are recorded or referenced in the book of Acts. And there's, there's three, I would say, important characteristics about each one of those sermons. That this, this pattern that emerges as you look at these sermons one after the other. And the three things are that they focus on the death and resurrection of Jesus. They have a call to repentance and the forgiveness of sins. And there's references to the Old Testament through each of them. And so what do, why do these matter and what does it mean for us? First, the, the focus on Jesus' death and resurrection is the central message of the Gospels. Uh, and Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 15, 1-8, he talks about the importance of the Gospel in our lives. He writes, Now, brothers and sisters, I want to remind you of the Gospel I preached to you, which you received and on which you have taken your stand. By this Gospel you are saved. If you hold firmly to the word I preach to you, otherwise you have believed in vain. For what I received, I pass on to you as of first importance, that Christ died for our sins and according to scriptures, that he was buried and that he was raised up on the third day according to the scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas and then to the twelve, and then he appeared to more than 500 of the brothers and sisters at the same time, most of whom are still living, though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James and to all the apostles, and last of all, he appeared to me, also as to one abnormally born. See, Paul understands that Jesus' death and his resurrection was of first importance. Our faith and our salvation hang on the truth of this message. Actually, later on in that same chapter, Paul, ta- Paul says that if that is not true, if the message of Jesus' death and resurrection is not true, there's no validity to it, then our faith is useless. In verses 16 through 19 says, For if the dead are not raised, then Christ has not been raised either. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile, and you are still in your sins. Then those also who have fallen asleep in Christ are lost. If only for this life we have hope in Christ, we are of all people most to be pitied. You see, the, what, the, the death and resurrection of Christ is the, is the cornerstone, it's the foundation of our faith. If that's true, then everything else is held together. If that is not true, if that's false, then, then everything just falls apart. That's why that is such an important thing, and that's why it's important to keep the gospel message, his death and his resurrection, and the meaning of that for us as the central focus of our preaching and teaching. It's the foundation of everything that we believe. Repentance is important. The forgiveness of sins is important because that's the appropriate response to the good news of Christ and the good news of the gospel. The act of turning away from our sin and receiving the finished work of the cross, that's what repentance is all about. It's about turning away from our sin, turning away from the things in our lives that dishonor God, and turning towards Him and receiving what He has done for us on the cross. 
See, we can do nothing for ourselves. We can do nothing to earn our salvation because God has already done it for us through Christ. And that's the good news of the gospel. The cross, however, demands that we respond in some way. Right? We, we're confronted with the reality of all that God has done for us. We're confronted with the reality of his love for us. And so we must respond in some way, either by receiving it for ourselves or rejecting it. And God desires that all people would repent. This message isn't just for a few select people, people that have earned their way into it, but it's for all people. It says the Lord is, in 2 Peter 3.9, it says the Lord is not slow in keeping his promise, as some understand slowness. Instead, he is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. See, God, that's God's desire, but he leaves the choice up to us. He wants us to respond to what he's done for us. And the third thing is, is the reality that our faith is founded on God's word and what it reveals to us about God and about his son Christ and what he's done for us. The apostles over and over again grounded their teaching in God's word. And really they were following Jesus' own example. When Jesus was tempted in the wilderness by the enemy before his ministry began, the way that Jesus responded to that temptation was by quoting scripture. After his death and his resurrection, when Jesus met with the disciples on the road to Emmaus, the way that he helped them to understand all that the Messiah would have to do and to suffer for his people was by opening up the scriptures. By beginning with Moses and, and going through the law and the prophets, he explained to them all that was revealed there. So, so if it's important for Jesus to, to um, base, his, base his understanding and use God's word as part of his life, then it's important for us to do that as well. Jesus also gave the parable of the wise and foolish builders, right? Matthew chapter 7, verses 24 and 26, right? The wise man built his house on the rock, and the foolish man built his house on the sand. And when the storms of this life came, the one who built his house on the sand, right, his house just collapsed, right? There was nothing left because there was no firm foundation for it to be built on. But the wise man who built his house on the rock was able to endure the storms of this life because he had based his life on God's teaching and God's word. That's what, that's what my desire is for us as individuals and for us as a church is to be able to build our lives around the foundation of God's word and the truth of the gospel that's revealed there. And so how do we do that as a community of faith? How do we do that together? Well, it's important for us to engage God's word. Um, and the, the main way we do that as a community is through Sunday morning preaching and teaching, through, through the sermons and through other Sunday school classes and Bible studies that meet this day. And sermons are not meant to be listened to for, you know, 20, 30 minutes uh, and then forgotten in one ear and out the other. They're meant to be the start of a conversation. And so a couple things that you can do to engage that is by asking some questions. You know, what does this mean for me? What is this passage teaching me about God and Jesus, the Holy Spirit, the church or myself? And how can I apply it to my life? We should respond with obedience. It does us no good to, to gain knowledge of God's word if it doesn't impact our life. You know, we've talked about that already, the importance of responding to God's word in some way. And it's important for us to respond together, right? We're a community of faith. We're not just a bunch of individuals that happen to be in the same room, but we are brothers and sisters in Christ. And so as we respond to God's word, we should find ways to encourage each other and to build each other up. We should not only ask, what does this mean for myself, but what does this mean for the church, for this community that I belong to? And finally, we want to respond with prayer. Prayer is a, a natural response to God's word. And it was the other thing of those four, other, the fourth one of those, those different elements that we're listening in Acts 2. We should be responding to God in prayer. And at its most basic, prayer is simply a conversation that we have with God. It's a conversation that he initiated through his son, Jesus Christ, and through, the, through his word. That's the way that God has chosen to reveal himself to us. And so prayer is just the response is, our, is, a, is the other half of that conversation that we have with God, right? We, we, we speak to him, we, we listen to what he has to say and teach us through his word. It's impossible to have a relationship with anyone if we never communicate. If we never take the time to, to, to speak to them, that relationship will never grow. And the same is true with our relationship with God. If we're not spending time in prayer, if we don't respond to his word and the truth of his word in our lives with prayer, that relationship is not going to be able to grow and to mature. 
And the result of all of this, the result of, of committing ourselves to God's word and to prayer, is that it will have a huge impact on our community. I believe that when we devote ourselves to living out these things and living out the mission statement as God calls us to, um, he'll be able to do great things through this church. And we'll be able to make an enormous impact in this community for God's word. In Acts 2, it talks about how in the closing verses of, of in verse 47, it says they were praising God and what they were enjoying the favor of all people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. See, that's the kind of impact that we can have in this church, in this community, if we devote ourselves to these things. If we commit to living as disciples of Christ and maturing in our faith, God, that's the kind of impact that God can have in us and through us in New Knoxville. Enjoying the favor of people and God adding daily to those, the number of those who are being saved. What a great thing. And, and, and I don't know about you, but I would love to see that happen here at First Church and here in New Knoxville. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for this day. Thank you for, uh, thank you for these words of, of challenge. Uh, I know that, that as we talk about being a mature disciple and what that means for us as a church and as individuals, it's a challenging statement because none of us are perfect. None of us are there yet. But yet you call us to, to devote ourselves to following you, devote ourselves to the truth of your gospel and the, the message of reconciliation that that brings, and to focus on that, Lord and to encourage others to, to follow you as well. Lord, help us to grow. I pray your spirit would, would grow each of us as individuals, but also grow us as a church so that we can truly live out the meaning of our, statement, of our mission statement. In Christ we pray. Amen. In closing, I invite you to stand and sing with us number 275, How Firm a Foundation. Jesus Christ himself and God our Father who loved us and by his grace gave us eternal encouragement and good hope. Encourage your hearts and strengthen you in every good deed and word. Amen. Invite you uh, to to remain here if you're going to stick around for our meeting. Uh, We're going to take a few minute break so the sound guys can turn things around uh, for the radio broadcast and then we'll get going here in just a few minutes. So thank you all.